Well, this morning, it is December 24th, right? And uh, we are five days away. I'm sorry, it's the 20th. We are five days away from Christmas, and uh, it is the most wonderful time of the year. I hope that you're full of joy and all things good and, uh, and Christmas-like and, uh, and the favor of God. And I hope that joy is flowing through you to someone else as well. So now as, you, as you know, we've been using this Charlie Brown Christmas tree here uh, to help us focus this Christmas season. This tree is a metaphor for 2020, this dilapidated, disgusting, disappointing tree. It's a metaphor for 2020, and it hasn't delivered everything that we had hoped it would, right? And uh, every time that we thought we were getting our footing and we were getting ready to move on again, it seemed like the rules changed, and uh, kind of like that familiar scene. How many of you remember the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving? You know, when Lucy would try to convince Charlie Brown that she needs to, he needs to, to kick that football again, but Charlie Brown really didn't trust her because he'd been down this road before. But she kept trying to convince him, this time he's going to kick it. So finally he decides, you know what, this time I really am going to kick the football. And so he runs back and he runs up really strong, plants that foot, and Lucy pulls that football away again. He ends up doing a flying backflip and lands on his back looking up at the sky. Well, um, 2020 has seemed a little bit like that to me. Like every time you go to kick the football, it gets moved and yanked away again, right? The rules change again, and you end up doing a flying backflip or something, um, looking up at the sky, wondering why did I think that would work this time, right? I mean, plan, have your plans changed sometimes this year, right? I mean, I mean, just for me, just this year between family and church, I mean, first we went online for two months, which is something I didn't plan for, and then pastors became TV producers overnight, and, and then, uh, uh, well, you know, summer vacation, that was out the window, and we, we managed to see family just because of a funeral, and even for that, it was difficult to get up to New England uh, with all the travel restrictions and all of that, and then at church, our outreaches changed, our, our back-to-school bash um, had to be a drive-up, and then the, the, the Harvest Fest was canceled, and, uh, and even some of our compassionate ministries, some of those are still shut down, but we've had to rethink how we do compassionate ministries, which has been a good thing. Some good things have come out of that, but it's still been very challenging, right? And then, and then after Christmas, um, my family and I, we were supposed to travel to South Carolina to visit with my brother and his um, wife and then my, my mother as well. Well, those fell through as well. And, so, and I know the same is true for you, right? I mean, it seems like every time you go to kick the football, it, it gets yanked away on you, right? And uh, 2020 has just been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. But can I encourage you? We are not the first people to experience a no good, horrible, very bad year. We're not the first people to feel like the football keeps getting yanked away from us. As a matter of fact, there's someone in the Christmas story who had a similar experience. Her name is Mary. And so today what I'd like to do is kind of take her out of that picture-perfect manger scene that we all have in our living rooms, right? And, uh, and off of the picture-perfect Christmas cards that we send to each other and look at her story, if we can, um, as she experienced it. Look at it a little bit more as it really was for her. So the title of today's message is Mary, a focus on the eternal. Mary, a focus on the eternal. And so we're going to follow along with her story and kind of unpack it as we go. Would you bow with me for a moment in prayer over the Word of God? Oh, Heavenly Father, 
God, please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our days, God. Give us a heart to understand, and God, give us faith to respond to you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. All right, so in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, all right, pause there just for a minute. Now, right off the bat, you can see from these verses that Mary has a lot of good stuff going on in her life and a lot of great plans for this year that's coming up. First notice, she's from a great family. A couple chapters later, it tells us that uh, she's a descendant of David. So that would have brought a lot of pride to her family and also respect from the community that, that she's in a direct descendant of David. And it looks like from the dynamics of Mary's um, relationship with, her, with, with Elizabeth, that she's got this great extended family as well. So she's got this great family. And then notice also that it says that she's a virgin. That means she's morally pure. She's godly. She's upright. She's got a good reputation in the community. And it's likely that people praised her. You know, what a good girl. What a, what a great spirit she has. They probably likely told her father, you know, you're so lucky to have a daughter like that. And then also, it says that she's pledged to be married to what looks like, from what we can see in the scriptures, a really great guy. I mean, we know that he's also um, a descendant of David as well. He's from a great family. Uh, the Bible says, and Matthew says that he was a righteous man, so he's godly and he's righteous, and we see some aspects of mercy in his character as well. But at the same time, he's a carpenter, he's a hard worker, and so um, it looks like he's a great provider. I mean, he's a great guy, it looks like, and probably there were going to be a lot of young women crying at his wedding. And Mary gets to be the one to, to marry him. And so this tells me that she's looking at the next year of her life with an awful lot of excitement. She's got great plans, exciting plans for the upcoming year. She's got all kinds of plans for her wedding, you know, as well. And uh, um, how many of you ladies know what it's like that year leading up to planning a wedding, right? You want everything to go just perfect, all sorts of plans for everything, right? I mean, so much so that, I don't know if you know this, but one of the things that we pastors tell brides, like at one of the first premarital counseling sessions is that, look, you have all of these plans, right, that you're really excited about, but just plan for something to go wrong. Because, you know, if you don't, you're going to get all messed up, and, you know, because two flowers are out of place, you have a miserable day. Just plan for something to go wrong, right? And so she has all these great plans for the next year, but all of a sudden, this angel shows up, and the angel says to her in verse 28, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, she's highly favored, and the Lord is with her. I mean, wouldn't you all like to have a greeting from an angel like that, right? Uh, uh, but look at Mary's response in verse 29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, why in the world is she greatly troubled by this message? that she's highly favored, right? What could cause her trouble about that? But yet she's troubled, and it says she's disturbed, right? And not only that, she's wondering what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, she seems to know that there's more to the story, that this angel just didn't show up just to say, hey, you're highly favored and God's with you, right? She seems to know that there's more coming. And I think she's got enough discernment and wisdom to know that when an angel shows up in your life, things are about to change. Things are about to get disturbed. And... 
Um, if she knew the Old Testament story, she would have known that when the angel appeared to Abraham, for example, that uh, fire was about to rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and his um, nephew Lot was over there, and he needed to do something about it. And when the angel showed up to Moses and said that he was highly favored, right, um, his simple life as a shepherd was about to come to an end, and he was about to have an epic battle with Pharaoh. When an angel showed up, people's lives got turned upside down. And, and so she's greatly troubled, and she's pondering um, what this meaning, what this, what this greeting means. And for her life, I mean, what about her wedding plans? What about her relationship with Joseph? And, and so going on, in verse 30 it says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Oh, is that all? All right. I mean, that shouldn't affect much, right? I mean, oh my goodness, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, right? That will change everything. I mean, this is the event that her people have been looking forward to since the time of Abraham. This is the person that they've been waiting for since the time of Abraham. The person, the one that the prophets all wrote about, and he's to be born to her. I mean, do you think that might change some things? Do you think it might mess with some of her perfect plans for her perfect wedding and for her happily ever after? And so it seems clear that the next year is not going to be as she planned it. But look at her initial response in verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? You know, and I think it's remarkable that her first question wasn't, hey, 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 wait a minute, what, what, what about my wedding? Well, what, about, what about my relationship with Joseph, right? Uh, you know, I've got plans. How is this going to affect all of my plans, right? I don't think any of us would have blamed her if that was her first question. I think a lot of us, that would, that would have been our first question, right? But instead, she's asking a question that has to do with her testimony, with her character, about how to be right before God, right? How will this be since I am a virgin? And she's thinking about the birth of the Messiah the same thing way probably everybody would have thought about it, that he will be the, um, the child of a human father and a human mother. At this point, she can't see that God's got a different plan. She just sees it as a problem. I'm a virgin. And she can't really reconcile this announcement with the fact that she's a virgin. And so I love that her first concern is with doing the right thing. And I love the fact that she simply states the problem, and then she asks, for more information, for more wisdom, for more insight, right? She doesn't object. She doesn't have all sorts of suggestions and solutions for God, but, uh, and she doesn't try to back out. Just, God, there's something I don't understand about this. You need to explain it a little bit further. You know, sometimes I think we need to do that with God, too. I mean, when our life gets messed up, when things aren't just going right and things are just going wrong and all our plans that we thought we had are getting messed up and turned upside down and we don't understand what life is bringing to us. Instead of complaining, instead of offering God a whole bunch of suggestions and, and solutions for him to try as though he hadn't thought of this from every angle, like there's some things maybe that God didn't see, right? Instead of running around in a panic, perhaps we should try to be a little bit more like Mary. State the problem and then start listening again. State the problem. God, God, here's the problem. God, what do you have to say about it? God, 
Show me in your word. How does your word apply here? Show me by your spirit. Here's the problem, God. You know, but, but God, speak to me and give me more of your wisdom and your understanding and your perspective. And so the angel here gives her more insight. Verse 35, he says, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So the angel gives her, uh, answers her question, helps her understand a little bit. And, you know, I don't think she probably could understand everything that all of that meant. But, but I think she understood enough to understand that, okay, I, I, can, I can maintain my testimony. I can continue to do the right thing and be the mother of the Messiah at the same time, right? But, but even more than that, I think it's fair to say that by this point, there's probably a lot more things that she's beginning to understand as well. By this point, she's got an idea that this is going to mess up her life. I mean, this is going to mess up her plans. It's going to mess up her wedding plans because who is going to believe that she's a pregnant virgin? And who's going to believe this fanciful story about an angel that, that showed up and told her all of this and about the involvement of the Holy Spirit and all of that kinds of things? Likely no one. Not her parents, not any of her relatives, certainly not Joseph and his family. And if they didn't believe, well, that could have some serious consequences because there was a death penalty for this kind of thing. If they believed that she was adulterous, it could result in a public execution. It was serious stuff. So by now, it has to be clear that her marriage plans are in jeopardy, her relationship with Joseph's in jeopardy, um, her reputation's in jeopardy, her happily ever after is in jeopardy. If all the angels said came to pass, her plans for the next year be completely messed up. But look at Mary's response in verse 38. She just says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. No argument. No questions about the implications of all this for her life. No crying over what might be or might, what might never be. No complaints about the difficulties that this might bring on her. Her biggest concern just seemed to be with her ability to honor God. And after that, she just says, I am the Lord's servant. I'm here to serve his purposes. It's not about me. Even if my plans are messed up and uh, my life goes a different direction, it's not about me. All I need to know is that these are his plans, that his favor is resting on me, and that he's with me. And really, I mean, if you have that, what more do you need? Remember in Romans it says that if God is for you, then who can be against you? Right? I mean, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trial or trouble or persecution or anything else in all creation, anything that can come your way, what shall separate you from the love of God? He goes on to say, nothing. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am the Lord's, Lord's servant, she says. May it be to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then going on through the rest of the chapter, we see this kind of warm, encouraging time for Mary. There's several months here that, you know, she heads off to see Elizabeth um, after hearing that she's pregnant as well. And God's doing some amazing things in Elizabeth's life. So, you know, possibly she'll understand, right? So she goes to see Elizabeth. And we see the involvement of the Holy Spirit there during this time. Mary prophesies. Elizabeth prophesies. Finally, John is born, and uh, everyone rejoices. And Zechariah uh, prophesies as well. And there's three months of blessing. But something else is brewing behind the scenes. Another interruption to her life. And it happens in Luke chapter 2, beginning 
in verse 1. Let's look at it. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. And so by now, the angels appeared to Joseph and told him to go ahead and take Mary. She's telling you the truth, right? And, and, and here comes this decree from Caesar Augustus. Well, that's a fine interruption by the government, right? I mean, didn't they know that everybody had lives to live? Didn't they know that everybody had jobs and businesses to take care of? Didn't they know that, that some people were great with child and about to give birth? Didn't they know? Didn't they care about any of that? You know, I, I guess 2020 isn't the first time that government has interrupted people's lives. I'm just saying, if you thought this is the first time something like this ever happened, right? And at least with the last interruption, though, I mean, you could see the hand of God in it, right? I mean, an angel appeared. What more do you need? Evidence do you need that God's involved and an angel appears and tells you what's about to happen? But here, the interruption seems to be coming from the government, much less, you know, a uh, you know, it doesn't look like it's from God. You can't readily see uh, God's hand in it. So this, this would not have been welcome, a welcome interruption by anyone. And certainly not if you're nine months pregnant. And so off they go, verses 4 and 5, it says this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting child. Now, how many of you know what it's like to pack up the family for a vacation or for a trip, right? Brother, how many trips have you done this year? <laughs> a lot, right? <laughs> right? You got to pack them up every time, right? And y'all know what that's like, right? Everybody's bringing so much stuff that you need a degree in spatial engineering just to get everything packed in the car. And then you get everybody stuffed in the car, Right? And you head off on this long drive, long, tedious uh, drive that lasts a bunch of hours and all of that. And uh, everybody's getting grumpy and cranky and all of that, right? Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. You're all so righteous, aren't you? That never happens to you, right? Big brother, they're manifesting halos out here. I don't know if you can see it, right? That, that happens to you, right? And uh, I know it, it's happened to me. It's happened to us. Everyone's getting cranky, right? And, you know, um, our trips, our family trips, you know, they last like, uh, you know, seven, seven or eight hours, you know? And, uh, and you know, it's like you got, you got people in the back seat going, are we there yet? You know, uh, um, uh, when are we going to get there? Dad, my brother's on my side. Uh, stop touching me. Hey, don't make me stop this car. Seven or eight hours of that. But do you know that we think that um, this trip for Joseph and Mary was somewhere between four and seven days? Four to seven days on the back of a donkey while you're nine months pregnant. How many of you ladies would just like that trip? I mean, do you think that was a little bit uncomfortable? But it gets worse. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so they finally arrive where they're going. But of all the indignities, there isn't a room available anywhere. No guest room because everyone has been traveling and they're all taken up, right? And you'd think that maybe there might be some kind soul somewhere who might give up their space for this woman who's obviously nine months pregnant and uncomfortable, right? But apparently not. 
And so they end up sleeping with the animals. And it may have been a cave. It may have been a structure. We're not quite sure about that. But we are sure that they're sleeping with the animals. They're sleeping with the sheep and the goats and the cows and the horses and the noises and the smells. And if you've ever lived with a pregnant woman, you know that if something doesn't smell right, right, you all know what I'm talking about, right? This is not ideal, right? This is not right. But it gets even worse. In the middle of all this, she goes into labor. Now, this is not how she would have planned it. How many of you would plan it this way? You don't go into labor here. You go into labor back home, right, where you're um, surrounded by midwives and your, and your mother and aunts running around making sure that everything is just right. And uh, um, you don't lay the baby in a feeding trough. You lay the baby uh, in, a, in a special bed that's been prepared, in special clothes that's been prepared ahead of time. You wouldn't do it this way. But instead, she's giving birth in this uncomfortable, stable, exposed to the element. Her mother's not around, no relatives, no midwife, only Joseph. And it's not likely that he had any experience helping anybody give birth. Right? And so the baby's finally born, and, and, and they don't have any special clothing. Um, they Just some cloth they happen to have, and they lie him in a feeding trough. They repurpose a cradle, uh, feeding trough into a cradle. And just when you think that everything is settling down, the baby's been born, mother and baby are doing fine, maybe we can get a little bit of rest. Well, unknown to Mary and Joseph, right, the same angel who had appeared to them to tell them about all of this stuff's going to happen, is now out in the fields talking with some shepherds. Now, you all know, right, how when, when a baby is born, if you give birth to a baby, you kind of want to manage the flow of information because, you know, you don't want 50 relatives showing up all at the same time just a half hour after the birth and all of that. So you manage the flow of information, right, and so that you can manage the flow of people coming, right? Well, apparently God is rejoicing. The Father's rejoicing at this because he sends the angel to tell some shepherds nearby, hey, my son has been born. And so the angel's out there telling them all about this, this, this newborn baby, the Messiah. God's own son has been born. And he's like, gives them great directions. So you're going to find him, go into the town there. And the one that's lying in a manger of all things and wrapped in cloths, that's the one. That, that's how you can find him. Go ahead. Go ahead and find him, right? So the angel sends all of these shepherds there. It says that they hurried off, verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, can you imagine how this just went down? You know, uh, they're, they're trying to get some rest finally, and Mary's like, uh, hey, Joseph, 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 did you hear that? What, what, Mary, what are you talking about? Uh, nothing, go back to sleep. No, 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 I heard some voices coming. There's someone, there's someone approaching, go check it out. So Joseph goes out to, to look outside, and he's like, and, and Mary's like, what, is it thieves? You know, is it robbers? What, what, what is it? And, uh, and, and Joseph's like, no, it looks like, looks like shepherds. And, oh, no. What? What's the matter? They've got more sheep with them. <laughs> and so the shepherds, they all, they all barge in, uninvited-like. And they're smelly, and they're dirty, and, you know, because shepherds aren't in the habit of bathing. And, and they all want to get near the baby. And, and have you ever seen a first-time mother, uh, if you notice that first-time mothers tend to be very careful with who gets to hold the baby. But you've got all these unknown people barging in, wanting to get near the baby, right? None of this is ideal. From the unplanned trip, to the difficult journey, to the accommodations, to the timing and the circumstances of the birth. And now these shepherds barging in. 
None of it seems right. It all seems very stressful. You, know, you wouldn't be surprised if the next thing it said is that Mary had a nutty. Right, if it, it wouldn't be surprised if the next thing it said is that Mary wept and cried out to God, what's going on? Where are you? This doesn't seem like the way the Messiah should be born. But look how it says Mary reacted in verse 19. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, how in the world does she do that? And in, in the midst of all these negative situations, the things that she's experienced, how does she have this outlook? How is she not a complete mess right now? A complete emotional wreck, maybe postpartum a little bit too, right? And, and it's not that she can't see all the negative stuff around her. I mean, she's experienced it all well enough, right? But at the same time, she's able to see the hand of God in it. She's able to see God at work. She may not understand everything that this child is going to be and do and how God's plans will unfold, but she sees enough of God's plan to understand God's heart, and it enables her to be able to see God's hand in the middle of all these things. She's able to distinguish between the temporary and the things that are going to pass and the eternal, the things that are going to last forever. She pondered those things. She thought about those things. She treasured those things. Now look at one more thing that happened. One more obstacle that comes their way. It's in Matthew chapter 2. And here we're, we're a few months after the birth here, at least four months, maybe six months, maybe a year. And things seem to be going a little better. They're at least living in a house now. They're not in the stable, right? And all of a sudden, one day, this large entourage of important-looking magi show up at the door. Now, last week, we looked at this from the magi's point of view. Today, I want you to look at it for a second from Mary's point of view. Matthew 2, verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, all right, I mean, that seems like a welcome turn of events, doesn't it? Finally, someone's giving this child the recognition that he deserves. I mean, these obviously influential and important people are bowing down to him. And after the fiasco, when no one had room for him and no one cared on the night of his birth, finally some recognition. And after they bow down and they worship him, they open up their treasures and they begin to give him gifts. And uh, it says that, and really, by the way, that's the second Christmas gift, isn't it? The first Christmas gift is, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And, but, and this is the second gift, the response to God. And that really is, by the way, an illustration of how God works in our lives. He's always the initiator. He's the one who initiates his grace and goodness towards us, and we respond to him. And that's what's happening here. And so they, they brought out um, their gifts. First, gold. Well, that's fit for a king, right? And then frankincense. Well, that's that's used in worship. That's appropriate for someone who's to be worshipped. And then myrrh, well, that's, that's kind of weird. I think that's a burial spice. I wonder, I wonder what that's all about, right? But, 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 oh, well, hey, it's been a great day, right? All these amazing people show up, and, uh, and they give all of these gifts. They bow down and worship Jesus, and they leave behind these, these great gifts and blessing. And, uh, and it must have been great. Think about that. It must have been great reliving that at the end of the day with Joseph as they're going to bed at night. And finally... I mean, I can imagine, it doesn't say it here, but I can imagine them rolling over to go to sleep and Mary saying, you know, good night, Joseph. Sweet dreams, Joseph. Sweet dreams. Have sweet dreams. But it says he had anything but sweet dreams. Look at verse 13. It says, when they had gone, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Well, that's not a sweet dream. Uh, and this wasn't one of those dreams where you wake up in the morning and think, you know, oh, I remember I, I, I had this weird dream. Let me see what it was. No, it was one of those dreams that, this disturbing dreams that wakes you up and, in the middle of the night and keeps you awake, right? And so in verse 14, it says, he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Now think about that from Mary's perspective for a minute. I mean, you just had this seemingly great day. It looks like God's hand of blessing on you again, right? And you went to bed thinking, what a great day. What great blessings from God we have here, right? And, and now, it's not even the next morning yet. It's still dark out, and you're on the back of a donkey again. On a long journey again. But this time, you're headed out of Israel. You're headed out of the promised land. And you're a fugitive and you're in exile, and you're being hunted. I mean, talk about having the football pulled away from you. Joseph, how long do you think we're going to be in Egypt? I, I don't know. The angel just said to stay there until I tell you. So they don't even know how long it's going to be. I mean, that's difficult. But everything that we see in Mary, from the announcement to the birth to the flight to Egypt, all the way to the crucifixion and the resurrection, shows us a woman of faith who deals with the harsh realities of life by focusing on what is eternal. Not focusing on what's, what's temporary and what's going to pass away, by focusing on what's eternal and is going to last forever. You know, this year has been a lot like this dilapidated, disappointing Christmas tree. There's been a lot of disillusionment. You know, it feels like the ball has been taken away from us at every turn, right? Every time we go to kick it. You know, and to make matters worse, just like Mary had a series of what seems to be setbacks in the natural, there's probably going to be other times in our lives as well when, you don't, when things don't make sense, when you feel like things aren't just adding up, right? And you're wondering, where is God in all of this? You know, and I'm not suggesting at all that we ignore or deny the difficult things that we face, right? They're real. We must go through them. But I am suggesting that we determine to see God's hand in them to see God's blessings as well, to see God at work in the midst of whatever difficulties we face, to focus not on the things that are temporary, but with God's help, the Holy Spirit's help, to focus on the things that are eternal, to value and highly esteem the eternal things. Because we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who, are, uh, who love him and who are called according to his purposes. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So if you'll order your life according to God's purposes, if you put God first in your life, he promises that he will eventually work everything out for your good and bring his eternal purposes into your life. Would you all bow with me in prayer for a moment? And as we get ready to conclude this morning, I just want to pray with you, whether you're here in the sanctuary or at home. 
I wonder how many of you would say to me, you know, Pastor Paul, you know, 2020 has been a really frustrating and difficult year, and I feel like the ball does keep getting taken away from me. The goalposts keep moving, but this Christmas and beyond and into next year, I want to make a commitment to intentionally keep on focusing on what's eternal. Even while I have to walk through and deal with all of this temporary difficulties, I want to, God to give me eternal perspective. You raise your hand and say, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's me. Amen. Thank you for those hands, all those hands going up. Amen. Amen. God, I pray for all of those who um, have that wish, that desire. God, give us an eternal perspective, I pray, God. Give us an ability in everything that we face, God, to, to have that eternal perspective and see what you're doing in our lives, God. In Jesus' name we pray. While your head is still bowed and eyes are still closed, let me just ask you, if you're here today or you're, either you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've heard about him, you know, but you really haven't been serving him at all. You've just been you know, serving yourself and what, what you can get from this world. But today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. And you realize that you can't save yourself, but you believe that Jesus tied for you on the cross and, and, and you want to give your life to him. Can I see your hand if you're here? And even if you're at home, I want to pray with you as well. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. It's a prayer of receiving Christ. It's just a starting point. It's not the end point. It's just a starting point of a life walk in faith in him. So I'm going to pray this prayer and ask if you would just follow me um, out loud in this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I confess I can't save myself. But I believe that Jesus died for me to pay for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. Help me to live in faith in you all the days of my life and to value the things that are eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My friend, I can tell you, if you've done that, maybe for the first time in your life, or maybe you're coming back to Christ after being away from him, that God's done everything that you've asked him to do. And I encourage you all, all of us here and who are watching, to grow in our relationship with God on purpose. Get in the word of God. Let him speak to you in his word. It's his love letter to you. And then uh, get in prayer as well. He wants to hear from you and grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Would you bow one more time to close this service in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for the example that Mary sets for us, God. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, God. Help us in the midst of all these difficult circumstances to see your hand at work. Help us like Mary to see and love and value the things that are eternal and trust you through the things that are temporary. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a merry, awesome, wonderful Christmas. Hope to see you Thursday at the Christmas Eve service. Amen. God bless you.